So the title of today's message is Surviving 2020. And we'll be in John chapter 20, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be a little different today. About 90% of the messages that I bring are what's called expository. It means I take a, a scripture and I focus almost entirely on that scripture. I just dig into it and pull out the truth out of it. And only bringing the other scriptures to highlight the truth of the scripture that we're going through. Today the sermon is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be topical, meaning I'm going to be focusing on an idea and using the scripture to highlight that. And this morning is going to reflect William Booth's sermon or advice about sermons. If you don't know who William Booth is, he's the founder of the Salvation Army. Awesome, awesome preacher of God's word. He said, preach with the Bible in one hand and the latest newspaper in the other meaning use the Bible to explain exactly what is going on within the culture. So, let's dive in. This has been a week, hasn't it? It's been a very, very interesting week. It just seems like 2020 enjoys punching us in the gut. And the one thing that we may have thought would be somewhat normal this year has just kind of blown up in our face, hasn't it? I mean, Tuesday night, election night, I popped some popcorn, sat in my easy chair, watched the returns come in. We had voted absentee right before we left, just to make sure in case we didn't get back on time. And now I just wanted to see what the results were going to be. And I guess I was a little naive because I expected, I expected to be up late. Usually the returns and they're able to declare the winner, usually around 1 or 2 in the morning. I mean, we've been through elections dozens and dozens and dozens of times in our country and really the only time that it got ever got messed up was 2000 remember that hanging chads bush gore florida that went on for what 47 days or something like that and we didn't know who the winner was until the supreme court stepped in and said you have to do it this way and that gave george bush the presidency well i have a feeling that the next few weeks are going to make the Bush-Gore situation look like a picnic. I think it's going to be a knife fight. It's going to be a down, dirty, drag-out brawl. There seems to be a lot of evidence of vote tampering, and I think it's going to turn into a very rough ride. In fact, I made a comment about it on social media, and I got tagged to spreading false information on Facebook, so I know I must be telling the truth. But right now, it's a full court press of, of trying to suppress any kind of truth. And you have the unholy me, uh, trinity of the media, technology, and leftist political forces. They've all kind of united in an effort to suppress and possibly steal an election. Now, I don't know if that's what's happening, but I know it needs to be looked into. And I wish I had better news, but from what I see is going on right now, if this gets overturned and they give the presidency correctly to Donald Trump because he won the most votes, we will see civil unrest like we have never seen. We're going to see in the next few weeks a lot of fighting amongst family members even who might have different opinions about what's going on, even church members. We're going to see an increased use of drugs and alcohol, and with that, the increase of health problems, psychiatric problems. I, I guarantee you the anxiety level of most people out there right now is like way up here 
and that's going to increase, and with that, the suicide rates. In fact, Jesus even predicted this in the last times. In Luke 21, he said that during the time leading up to his return, that it would get so bad that people's hearts would fail them for fear. And what this election has shown us is something that most of us knew deep down in our spirits. Our country is spiritually and critically ill. We've reaped what we've sown as a nation and giving in to leftist demands to change our society into a twisted idea of what equality looks like. And I want to make a point, and I want to make it very clear. If you think I'm, I'm pushing for Donald Trump, I'm not. In the end, if America chose Joe Biden, I say, amen, he's my president. I'm not going to change who I am. I'm still going to pray for him. I'm still going to do my best and, and um, pray for him, pray for Kamala Harris, and try to represent Jesus to those around me. What matters to me is how they got elected. That's what matters to me. If they got elected through a fair and impartial process, okay, that's what America chose. If they got it because a whole bunch of people got together and tried to steal it, that is another whole other thing. For many people, it seems like the world has just gone crazy. I've seen people on social media, people I know even, it just seems like they're going crazy, there's no hope, and you know they're, they're ready to have their doomsday bunker going. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes has a lot of wisdom in it. I just read it again this last week. And I encourage everybody to read that probably once a year. It was written by Solomon, who next to Jesus was the wisest man who ever lived. And in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, Solomon makes a, a statement that says, what was will be again. There is nothing new under the sun. We face these kind of crises before. We'll face them again. And it should not affect how we live our lives before God. The Bible records a group of people who went through something very, very similar. This group of people had a charismatic leader that they thought was going to lead them into a new era of prosperity for their nation and for them in particular. This leader often spoke very harshly about his critics calling them all kinds of pretty offensive names when you think about it. As this leader continued to rise in prominence, so did his opposition. This opposition did everything they could to destroy him. They spread rumors. They punished anyone who said they supported this leader publicly. They would ostracize them and even excommunicate them out of their churches. And despite all this, this leader continued to rise in popularity. He drew crowds that numbered into thousands. And it seemed like he was on the precipice of finally coming into the position that he was going for. And then suddenly, the forces of evil snatched it away in under 12 hours. Does this kind of sound like what we saw in our country this week? But in case you're thinking about, I'm speaking about President Trump, I'm not. I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. The people following him were his disciples. Suddenly, their leader had been struck down. Jesus went from being the most popular person amongst the masses in his country 
to being beaten, whipped, humiliated, and dying naked on a Roman cross. His disciples were now running for their lives as the same opposition that took out their leader was now gunning for them. They go into hiding, and that's where we find ourselves this morning in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, they showed, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Father God, I just ask that you take this section of your scripture. Use it to change our hearts, change our minds, change our thinkings, and most importantly, to help us to walk with a sense of peace through this time. Father, I might be just be preaching to myself right now, but I have a feeling that out there, there are a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot of hostility. But I ask, Father, that you just sweep all that away and let your peace rule in our lives during this time so that we can reflect Jesus Christ to this community. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, there are three things from this account in Scripture that I think can help us in this coming uh, time that we're about to go through as a people. And I want to make one thing perfectly clear this morning. These three things, I think, are going to be very critical to surviving this time we're entering into. And I'm not talking so much about physical and mental survival as I'm talking about spiritual survival. Remember when I said that Jesus predicted during the end time that men's hearts will fail them for fear? Well, fear is the enemy's tool that he is going to use during this time to keep your eyes off of God and focused on your surroundings. So let's dig into this scripture. The first thing we see here in John chapter 20 is that Jesus stood among them. And that is the critical point right there. Let me illustrate this. During the Civil War, someone asked Abraham Lincoln if he thought God was on the side of the Union Army as they fought against the Confederacy. It was right before the Battle of Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln replied, Good sir, it does not matter to me one whit if God is on our side. What is of utmost importance to me is if we are on God's side. With that simple statement, Abraham Lincoln put the entire thing in the correct perspective. We don't do things and ask God to bless it. We follow what God is doing and serve Him in that time. And when I said it, it doesn't matter so much to me at this point who wins the election, I mean it. The church of Jesus Christ grew the fastest under Nero, one of the most evil men who have ever lived and probably the most evil emperor that the Roman Empire ever put forth. So whoever is president of our country shouldn't affect us all that much. I mean, of course I have a preference, and we all have a preference, right? But that's what it is. It's a preference. My focus is more how they won the election. Was it fair and honest, or was it through deceit and trickery? One because one stands for righteousness and one does not. One stands for Jesus and one does not. And my whole focus is this, if I am standing with Jesus. Remember, put an eternal perspective on this. 
In a billion years, will it matter who won this election when we're in heaven? We won't remember the name Donald Trump unless he's there with us. We won't remember the name Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Mike Pence. We won't remember any of these people. So put it in, in eternal perspective. What will matter is if you stood with Jesus, you stood in his character, you stood in his love. And next we see that Jesus had something to say to them. He told them, peace be with you. This wasn't just a, hello guys, how are you doing? It wasn't just a nice thing to say as he walked into the room. It was an exact description of what was going on in this moment. Peace be with you. In other words, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, was in the room. He stood among them. And that is why we want Jesus to be at the center of everything during this time. Practically, there are other ways that we can also have peace during this time. Once we get that where we're supposed to be with Jesus and having Jesus alongside of us and following Him. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. One of the first things that we can do to maintain this peace is to identify the enemy. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me say that again. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the enemy or heavenly realms. One of the first rules of warfare you learn in the military is you need to identify the enemy. And most importantly, you need to identify the leaders of the military you're going to fight because if you get the leadership, you take care of the entire war. And let me give you a hint. Your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors, the people who still have a political sign out that you don't agree with, they're not the leaders. They're not who's behind all of this mess. Therefore, our battle is not with them. You are not given permission in the Bible by God to enter into conflict with those people. He tells you, go after the rulers, the authorities. And trust me, I know it's hard. We had a fire call last night. And I'm standing in the, uh, we're standing there after the fire call, and there's probably two people there that are just very vocal um, on the other side of the political aisle than me, just laughing at everybody who's on the other side. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, John, you're going to preach this tomorrow. Keep your mouth shut. And, <laughs> you know, everything within me wanted to engage that, but I didn't. I know it's hard. And I, everything within me wants me to scream from the highest rooftop about how unfair I think this thing is. But right now I have to understand it's a battle for America's soul. It has nothing to do with my preference. But you, we do not have permission to engage the foot soldiers in this battle. Our conflict as believers in Jesus Christ is against the rulers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. They're the ones that we are to engage. And we don't engage them in physical ways. It would be so much easier if we had a physical target, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be, just be a lot easier if you could just walk up and say, Shut up! You know, you know, to some of these people. It would be so much easier, but that's not the way that we work as believers. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We don't wage war that way. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The church is never called on in the New Testament to wage a physical war. Warfare is a function of human government, not the church. Sometimes physical war is necessary, but only as a last resort when the consequences of not physically fighting outweigh the evil that will be done if we don't. In other words, if we know about a country who's slaughtering civilians and we go and stop them, that's a just war, just as an example. But that's not what we're talking about. The church does not do that when we are not there at this time. It doesn't mean you can't defend yourself against physical attacks, but we don't go out and seek it. Our role in this battle is prayer, fasting, obedience, and choosing to show love and not hate, and all while standing for the truth. And you might be thinking, is that all? That's all we get to do? Well, that's pretty much an impossible task for us to do sometimes when our emotions get involved, isn't it? I mean, my emotions were on such a hair trigger this last week, I felt like kicking the cat. I mean, I was just, just, and you know what? You're right. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. That's why the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. That's why we need to rely on His strength, on His power, His presence in our life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? The second way we can have peace in the midst of this chaos is realize this is not our home. I think if, if we be honest with each other, most of us would admit that one of the greatest fears we have about who is going to be in any, who is going to win an election is we're worried about who in, who's in charge because it, what it means for our physical life, what it means for the, our possessions, our homes, our jobs, all of that kind of stuff. And we do, and we get all freaked out because, because we want to protect which is, what is ours, which is temporary, while forgetting to care about what, that which is eternal. And sometimes we end up worshiping comfort over the Creator. I thank God I was born in the country I was born in. I believe the United States of America is the greatest country in, in modern history, and I believe it's worth defending. In fact, I and, and a few people here gave a blank check to our country and said, we will defend you up to and including giving our lives for it. We swore an oath that says we will defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Loving our country is not a sin. Saying all that, saying how much I love America, I also realize that the red, white, and blue flag does not fly above heaven's gates. It is not flown from any flagpole in heaven. If this was God's throne, the American flag is not going to be right there. Neither is a Christian flag for that matter. It's going to be all about God. 
while we reside while we reside here in this country and we live here this is not our permanent home and it's hard for us to really internalize this because I've been to some of the homes of the people in this church. Some of them have breathtaking landscapes, beautiful homes, just dream homes. It would be easy to covet some of their homes, frankly. I mean, it's just lovely and beautiful homes, and I understand why they're so interested in, in worrying and, 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 and uh, wanting to protect that. But as much as we love what God has given us in this life, He tells us that this is not the primary thing that we should be focusing on and protecting. Again, a billion, billion years from now, will you remember, even remember your home here on earth? Because that's what it's all going to be. It's just going to be a memory. It won't exist. Nothing on the earth will exist as it exists today. And it may be hard for people to understand. I mean, Tammy and I just spent you know, three weeks of our lives driving around the country seeing the beautiful landscapes, but... They're not going to exist one day. The book of Revelation tells us that God makes a new heaven and a new earth, and the old one passes away. He does this so no sin will have ever touched it. It will be utterly and completely perfect. He wipes the slate clean and makes a new one. So those rocky mountains, those badlands, those great nature things that we saw will not exist. But what will exist is what God makes for us. Therefore, the Bible says it is imperative that we have our focus on the future kingdom of God and eternity versus compromising who we are supposed to be in Christ to save what we have here. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures that will encourage you to memorize and repeat to yourself in these coming days, and they're actually on the back of your bulletin also. Hebrews 13:14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. John 15, 19. If you are of this world, this world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just in case you're wondering why the world doesn't like Christians very much. Hebrews eleven sixteen. As it is, they desire a better country. Talking about believers. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And again, all these are on your bulletin if you want to um, look those up and read them later. And the final way we can have peace during this time is realize that this is not all that unusual. Studying human history, whether it be a secular history we learn in school or the history that we see in the Bible, we know that evil has always tried to make life miserable for all people, and in particular, God's people. But I'm here to tell you some good news this morning. Jesus has overcome the world. That means all the schemes, all the wickedness, all the conspiracies, all the lies, all the, the, the stuff that's done behind closed doors. It doesn't matter if you put something over the window or you kick out people from being able to see it, it will be drugged into the light, and it will be defeated one day. The Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion going to and fro, looking for whom he may devour. Those who are in Jesus Christ 
that lion, Jesus has gone and yanked every tooth out of its head and pulled its claws off. So right now, it's about as harmless as Garfield. It has no, the devil has no um, way, uh, power to really hurt you in the uh, physical or in the spiritual. In fact, it just goes to show the level of insanity that is in Satan at this point. The more he squeezes us and the more he presses on us, the more of the world oozes out, the more Christ comes in. And finally, I want us to consider this. God the Father, right now, I believe, is using this time to beautify His bride right before the rapture. That It is my, my utter and complete belief that this time was on purpose. You may remember from the book of Esther that when Esther was chosen to be one of the candidates to become the next queen, that she had to go through over a year of beauty treatments before she could be presented to the king. And these weren't nice little things. These weren't, okay, we're going to send you to a spa for a year. We're talking about skin peelings. We're talking about putting tattoos down her arm and around her fingers. You may see some of those today. They're Persian. There were ways of making, Pers um, to the Persian mind, making women beautiful. These tattoos that would go down. Permanent makeup tattoo. Binding of the feet, changing the shape of their feet to make them ple pleasing to the Persian way of thinking. All very painful. None of them were pleasant at all. And not only that, she also had to live with other women who were in the same competition she was in. Imagine living in that kind of environment for a year. All these people in competition who become queen. Now think about what God is allowing us to live through right now. It's not very pleasant at times, is it? Does it make you feel a little uncomfortable? Do once in a while, do you have some anxiety going through in your life? Well, the Apostle Peter gives us this truth about living in troubled times and how to have peace in the midst of these storms. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. God is going to use this time to make us even more beautiful to Jesus Christ. He's going to squeeze as much of the world, as much of the sin, as much of the selfishness and all that gunk out of our spirits so that all that is left is a perfect representation of Jesus Christ. So that in the end, when the trumpet sounds or we meet him in death, we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And we will then experience the applause of heaven. Amen.